Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Adult Learning Lounge with me, your host Arpita Mishra. Could we personalize learning experiences for learners based on their individual needs, interests, and learning styles? What if we could provide real-time feedback to learners, helping them to identify areas of learning opportunities? The good news is that we can, because that's the potential of learning analytics. Following is a conversation with Vanessa Rodriguez. Vanessa is a learning and development executive with over nine years of experience in learning design and leadership development. Vanessa has implemented several analytics programs, which makes her the perfect speaker for the topic of discussion today, which is learning analytics. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Arpita? I'm doing fantastic. I've been, you know, looking forward to this conversation for so long. And now that we are finally here, I cannot imagine we are here. And it's an honor. Thank you so much for, you know, spending time with me on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Arpita. I'm just really excited. The last time we really had a chance to speak was at Morgan Stanley. And it's just a pleasure just to get to talk to you and catch up a little bit. Yes, a long time. Thank you. Um, You know, we're going to discuss learning analytics today. And uh, before uh, we dive into it, I just want to establish the basic and then slowly, you know, go forward uh, with that basic information. Um, I want to ask you, when we use that term learning analytics, what does it mean and why does it matter? Oh, gosh, it can mean so many things. Um, The first thing that I think of is, is a very hot topic of skill proficiencies and measuring the impact of training. Uh, And obviously that matters a lot. It matters how much uh, effectiveness our training is and what our users and employees and clients are taking out of it. That's really important. Um, The first thing that I really think of though is like diagnostics and prescriptive analytics, right? So a lot of the experience I have is mostly related to diagnosing where people currently are at in their skills or abilities. And based on where they're at, what is the best solution to get them to where they need to be? So that's usually the the experience that I've had over the last five or so years, even more so now. I work at a company called Database. It's a company that produces uh, essentially productivity performance platform, and that's mostly for sales teams. And a lot of what we do at Database and what I'm doing there is to gauge how effective somebody is on a day-to-day basis, month-to-month basis, and quarterly basis. And based on their performance, immediately provide training based on the areas that indicate there's lower performance than where it should be. And yeah, that, that's what I mostly think of when I hear learner analytics, what I would like to think more of and what I would love for others to think more of. It's not so much that kind of hot topic that people usually think when they hear that phrase. What I would love for people to think more about is, gosh, learner analytics. What about learner adoption analytics? What about completion rates for analytics? It's not you know, such so sexy as the other analytics that are talked about most, but they're incredibly important for us to discuss and for us as a whole industry to be sustained and continue to move forward. And uh, that's something that I would like to talk most about in, in today's session. Okay. And and yeah, I um, I mean, I had similar understanding, but uh, I am definitely uh, lacking in experience, um, you know, in comparison to you when it comes to like using analytics or implementing it at workplace. Um, I, I'm curious to know uh, what kind of data 
can we gather? I know like you may have experienced, uh, you know, in, in terms of establishing analytics programs, you may have gathered a set of data, but what's the potential? What kind of data we can gather like if if i am curious like let's say i am uh, i'm in the sales enablement uh, job and i want to i want to know how do i provide on time training to my sales force so that means i want to focus um on you know um what are my sales force engaging in in the learning management system are they more interested in videos are they more interested in games so i'm kind of collecting data and that will drive my decision to provide that kind of learning offering then i'm thinking like because why are we gathering these data ultimately to kind of uh to you know, drive a certain kind of decision so that we can customize our learning offering, right? If I may yeah. say so. So then what is the potential? What kind of, I know a uh, start rate and completion rate are part of these data set, but what mm -hmm. else, like holistically, what all can we gather? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think most managers, they really don't care what kind of training is happening, right? As long as training is completed. And on top of that, they should care. Maybe most don't, but they should care more about the data on whether or not the data is a lagging indicator or a leading indicator. Meaning that if the data they're looking at is a lagging indicator, that in, uh, implies that the data is showing information that happened in the past. So for instance, the sales enablement piece, that's data related to whether or not someone hit quota, but that doesn't really tell how someone did throughout the entirety of the quarter. Same with customer service reps. Another lagging indicator is customer satisfaction score. That happens after the customer service rep has spoken with the customer. It doesn't talk about anything that's happening during. So in general, managers, I think, have a pretty good understanding of how well people are doing at the end of something, but they don't really know what's happening during that piece, during the, the actual part of where uh, moments happen with clients or moments happen with products or, or whatever it may be. So I think more so than what type of training there is, I think that's more um, a judgment that should be called by L&D professionals and managers outside of L&D. I think more so where managers are looking at is how can I understand what can make my employees better? And usually that is related to leading indicators, indicators, data that shows you know, how much is a rep performing while speaking with a customer service reps? A lot of times that's related to uh, insights gathered from quality assurance representatives who randomly get on those phone calls, identify how well their reps are doing and say like, you know what, you did great on X and Y, but Z can be done a little bit better. And I think those metrics are the most important because those identify what kind of skill sets are impacting the result. I'm. I mean, I'm thinking of something here because you mentioned, uh, you know, customer service reps. I'm thinking of all sorts of learning and development, um, you know, um, departments. Like, yeah. not all departments are like you know customer service reps or where we have control over how a person is performing. For an example, if I have a sales rep in a pharma industry and yeah. those reps are going and talking to doctors, things are happening behind closed doors and things yeah. are happening, out, happening outside of our control zone and all data. And in that sense, we cannot quantify how they are performing, but there are two things. One, I'm thinking 
there is potential to kind of quantify almost everything. And then I'm thinking, how do we then measure behavior change, which is absolutely not quantifiable? Like if I'm training someone in dynamic sales or how do you listen to uncover needs from a customer? These are like very soft skills that we train yeah. people on. And then we know we are ultimately focusing on behavior change, which is kind of difficult to quantify. But at the same time, we can do things like a couple of things to quantify. And yeah, which is why I was like thinking apart from start rate and completion rate, because they, those two are like definitely indicating that people have been engaging or people have completed anything. But have you tried anything in the in the realm of behavior change and gathering data for analytics? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I get the sense that a lot of people think soft skills aren't measurable, but mm. they they really can be. It's just, it's a different way of understanding how to do that, right? So in the example of sales enablement, uh, yes, at the end of the day, we don't really know what happens in those conversations with the people they're trying to make a sale to. Uh, we we don't have that insight or you can, you can actually buy a lot of uh, platforms out there that that provide those insights, but most companies don't do that. But what companies can do is say, okay, we may not be involved in those conversations, but we know how many clients you're seeing a day. We know how many clients are setting a second meeting. We know how many clients are attending those meetings and how many are not. We know how many clients are uh, having conversations with you where you see them as an opportunity, a sales opportunity. And they're moving over to uh, you doing a sales presentation to them. Okay. From that, we understand the sales presentation. They're now making a business consideration or not. And they dropped off. So we do have some insight uh, on how well those type of uh, soft skills are performing based on those measurable results uh, as they're moving through the sales funnel. Um, And you could go ahead and say, okay, we have one or three types of soft skills related to this particular sales metric. Uh, let's say it's a the amount of meetings that our salespeople are holding with would-be clients. And those one or three skill sets we know are X, Y, and Z. Let's go ahead and train on these. And then based on the training and the conversations that either their manager is having or sales enablement is having with them, we can see where that's lacking. Uh, based on, you know, standard rubric, standard test scores on those things. Uh, but yeah, I think we we can identify soft skill uh, weaknesses and strengths by hard data. It's just not the most traditional or easy way to do it because it's just people don't think that way, I think. Yeah, and I absolutely love you for saying that because I am myself, I'm kind of going through this entire exercise of gathering data for behavior change and establishing data data set that can indicate how well people are doing in terms of sustaining learning, like not only completing a course and getting 80% and then moving on to do their job, but what is happening after 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, or 365 days for that matter? Like, are we collecting any sort of data to show us that the, the uh, training that we are doing that has a sustained impact and it's not only uh, getting done right after you pass a quiz or something. So <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think and maybe like whoever is listening, if they are absolutely new to this, um, may I take your guidance in terms of, um, you know, thinking 
people who are not a lot into analytics and I know a lot of teams and a lot of my oh, colleagues sure. who are not into it, but they are interested to get started. Do you have any guideline like how should we get started? Like if we, we know uh, these days also many organizations have multiple learning management systems or maybe they have one LMS, one LXP and uh, something else. So data is flowing from different um you know, there's a learning ecosystem and data is everywhere. How can one implement a basic maybe to get started with a simple analytic program? What would be your guideline to get started? Yeah. Well, first, before I, I get to that point, I, I want to highlight what you said. A lot of people really are not into analytics and it blows yeah. my mind yeah. because ultimately data guides everything that we do on an everyday basis. Just from a human perspective, I know that when I walk through a dog park, I might be bit and I want to avoid those areas. How do I know that? From the amount of experiences, I had 20 experiences where I was a little scared about that. And there was a moment that something happened. So based on that data, I know that I do not want to go to any dog parks. So it's interesting that people don't have an innate interest in data analytics, even though data and analytics drive their everyday behaviors on whatever they do. So one thing I want to say for those who may not be initially interested in this topic is thinking about where they are placed in their learning organization. In internal training orgs especially, we're seen as a cost center, right? That means our organizations are seen by our company executives as burning cash without bringing any cash in. And they hope that all the cash we're burning is worth their while at the end. But what happens if for instance, low completion rates are occurring or low adoption rates are occurring or even worse, there are high completion rates, high adoption rates, but there's no change in employee performance. What ends up happening is those people, you and your fellow L&D creators are let go, right? And if you are lucky enough to remain in the organization, well, you now just inherited a job that works in a very lean environment. You have more responsibilities and more work for the same pay. So at the end of the day, if you don't feel learning, learning analytics is impactful to you as an individual, Think about it from that perspective. It impacts you entirely with where you're placed in your current company and where you'll be placed in your future companies. So I, I want people to think about it that way. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I would love to add two things. One, what you uh, said in the beginning, like it blows your mind how people are not inclined to data. I would yeah. love to give you an example that uh, recently I was in a team meeting where, and it it has happened to me many times where people say. I feel and I think this yeah. is this doesn't work and and absolutely we are instinctive and we have wealth of experience in the field so we we make some decisions based on our experience but a statement like where someone says uh, I know that the salespeople, they don't like uh, using the learning management system which is ABC people don't like using ABC and I instantly think, how do you know that? Let's say the sales force is, uh, is uh, you know, it consists of 1,500 people and you have asked 10 people. And let's say anonymously, these 10 people have told you they don't like the system. But actually, if we do a survey out of 1,500, what if eight, you know, more than 1,000 say they love it? Then what is yeah. correct? So be, yeah. sometimes I, I struggle with that. Um, I think like, People do not understand the strength 
of actual data and they go by how they feel, what they think, and not dig deeper into where we have arrived in terms of technology and data today and why not leverage that. Mm-hmm. That is something I wanted to add. And I I also liked what you said in terms of like, you know, uh, placing your, our value in the organization, thinking of the return uh, of investment. Uh, is, is that what you said? Like, I wanted to yeah. confirm. Yeah, like more more around ROI? Yeah, more around ROI and more around not just ROI, but the very existence of why you're there at the organization. Yeah. If it's not there to just simply create training for the sake of creating training, then like why why does one exist? For me, I I asked that question to myself about a year ago. Like, why do I exist? What what is my purpose of being a learning designer? I, I think it's a relatively good pay. I enjoy helping people. Um, my role at a company is to make sure people learn things. But then at the end of the day, that's not what motivates me internally. What motivates me internally is that I see myself as a performance engineer. I maximize people's abilities. I maximize people's skills so I can provide them with more career opportunities. And ultimately, my hope is that they have a more prosperous future for themselves and for their family. That's what. That's why I exist. Um, And I encourage people to ask themselves that same question. Why do you exist in general uh, as an L&D professional? And why do you exist at your company you're at right now? Yeah. Like, yep. Go ahead. No, I was thinking of the question, like, what's the impact of doing nothing? Because that's one of the questions I ask when doing performance consulting. What's the impact of doing nothing? And because you said that recent, uh, like, my question is also, let's say we have, um, I mean, this is another way of thinking where I see low engagement rate or low completion rate, but performance is great. Then why am I doing my e-learning? I may stop them. I may look at into other data points, like what, where are people learning from and get my focus and get my energy there instead of creating e-learning. I, yeah. I don't know if that <laughs> happens. Like why create a bunch of courses that people are not taking, but performing at a greater level, is that happening because of great coaching? Maybe is that happening because they have a mentor or they're doing more experiential learning, which is great. So then why spend money in e-learning? I'm not saying that happens, but yeah. it's like how to view things holistically to understand, uh, like you said, why am I doing what am I doing? What's the value I'm bringing onto the table if not thinking holistically? 100%. And you know, there, there's just so many studies out there. I'm glad that you brought into perspective the completion again for courses. And I think that that really plays a role in the analytics that we should be looking at. And even for people who, uh, you know, they're in HR, they create uh, compliance training, like, that's not something they're worried about. They're thinking like, oh, all my training, they have to take it. Like, what's the problem? Like, I'm not going to think about that. That's not, that's not a me problem. But even with those people you know, it is. I speak to people all the time in compliance training where they say, listen, the only thing that's expected of me is me pushing out courses and hope, hoping that people relatively enjoy them, right? But the idea of motivation, the idea of uh, effectiveness of that training impacts these people even more than they realize. There was a, a huge case back in, oh gosh, I forget the year, 2014 or 2015, and it shook the L&D compliance world and it shook the, the, the world of L&D as a whole for those who create mandated training. And there was this name by uh, this guy by the name of Garth Peterson. He was an employee at Morgan Stanley and he was a, a managing director of real estate. And he allegedly violated anti-corporation or anti-corruption laws. And he pleaded that he didn't know that he was 
doing anything illegal. He said that Morgan Stanley, the firm, never informed him that what his behavior was was actually illegal activity. So the Department of Justice and the Security Exchange Commission got involved and they talked to Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley says, listen, we don't know why he is engaging in this illegal activity and saying he doesn't know. He knows because he took our compliance training. And they ended up giving the DOJ and SEC like a whole list of courses and trainings, both digital, non-digital trainings over the course of his time at Morgan Stanley, which I think was like five plus years, it ended up being like 50 plus trainings he took. And uh, Morgan Stanley said, not only did he take these trainings, we see it in the LMS, that his completion rate is 100%, but we also do like attestation. People attest uh, by checking a box saying that they completed the training. And the DOJ started looking at that. They're not even L&D professionals, but even they said like, huh, this doesn't seem like that's enough information for us to say he knew that this was illegal. So they ended up bringing in this, this woman, I forget her name. It's uh, I want to something Chen. And she is a, a compliance consultant. And it was a first time in DOJ history that a compliance consultant in training was ever brought in on an active investigation case. So she was brought in and she looked over the whole investigation and she ultimately said, listen, all this stuff, the attestation, the completion rates, these are not sufficient. There has to be a better way of measuring true understanding and knowledge of the compliance training. Simply taking the courses isn't enough. So then at that time, all the L&D professionals of the U.S. were just holding their collective breath, wondering what's going to be happening with this case. Because if the case says uh, simple simple completion rates are enough, that means they have to change their entire structure of mandated training, right? Yeah. Um, so what ended up happening is the DOJ eventually um, relieved Morgan Stanley from any liability and said that Peterson ultimately knew uh, that he was committing illegal activity for the training he was taking. But it was barely enough to show that that was true. Like it was barely enough to show that completion rate is regulatory compliant. So what L&D teams do now is tack on at the end of every compliance training, a small quiz to show that learning has occurred. We all know that that's not true, uh, but it, it's interesting because it's still changed quite a bit the expectations of our role. And everywhere uh, that Chen goes to, this compliance consultant, she does her best to say, like, listen, there will be a time when completion rates and passing quizzes will not be enough to be deemed abiding by regulatory expectations. Sooner or later, she's saying sooner, it's going to happen. And you know, people are just trying to make as much impact as they can to the L&D world to say, like, listen, it's a it's kind of a call now to action that we need to think more about effectiveness rather than simple completion and, and adoption rates. And it's fascinating because a, a lot of my research into this is seeing how much motivation plays a role and whether or not someone obviously takes training, but how much impact that training has on them. And a lot of that is due to the learning analytics um, from every company. Like how engaged are people? Are people asking for unique training? Are people going to training because their manager said so? Or are they going to training because they want to? So again, another reason to see the importance of analytics is to really understand what your company is doing well with training and what we can do better with. That was quite a story. I didn't know about it, but I think I should now dig deeper into what happened just to learn from the incident. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. It, it's pretty yeah, incredible it what is. happens underneath our noses sometimes. And, you know, it we're is. kind of in our, in our world every day doing our thing, but there are 
real stakes at play here on how impactful our training is. Yeah, that that makes me think, you know, and I think you you're better place to to answer my curiosity. Every company yeah. is using data to kind of drive decisions in, in various levels. I, I kind of think that the L&D community is still warming up to it and it's behind. Yes. It's really behind. And I want to ask you, like, here is my thought on it. I think maybe it is because that people think you actually need aggressive analytical skill or a lot of understanding of numbers you have to be good in maths maybe I don't know that's just my assumption which is why it could be a scary landscape but why do you think that we have not warmed up to use analytics the way every all other departments are using data I'm so glad you said that. I, I am in complete agreement with what you said, Arpita. I think with a lot of things, um, we're kind of lagging behind the general uh, business landscape, specifically in data analytics. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I do wonder from what you said uh, to be true. Like, I, I do agree it's part of that where people just simply feel like they are not competent enough to handle data and you know how much data can they handle it can be really scary like even yeah. departments who use data all the time they have tableau or whatever they're using they're often crippled by the amount of data that they have so yeah. now more so than ever in history we have more information to know what we need to do better but then that information's overwhelming so i kind of get the sense that it's we're easily overwhelmed as individuals. We have a lot to be responsible for, right? We are like just in that that one story I gave you, we're responsible for the health of a company's uh, ability not to be litigated against. We're responsible for employees to be safe in their work environment. We're responsible for a lot of things. And I think there's just so much expectation on, uh, on L&D teams to be, you know, one of many things. Like I, I think... Every single individual I've spoken with who is an L&D professional has at one point in time played the role of three different people, an instructional oh, yeah. designer, an e-learning developer, oh, yeah. an LMS admin, a graphic designer, like you name yes. it, right? Yes. And I think it's one of those things where we're already overwhelmed with learning so many skills yeah. uh, that we need to do to properly do our job. And we're oftentimes under budgeted. We operate lean um, and, and there just simply isn't enough time in the day or energy for that matter, to learn something else, data analytics. And data analytics is not the most interesting thing by, oh, yeah. by way of just the phrase itself for most for many people, which is unfortunate. And it's just, it, it can be overwhelming. So I, I think also it, it's tricky because even if we do have a wonderful uh, LRS system, a, a learner a record store, and we have XAPI statements saying, Everything about when a user is dropping out of a course, how long they played the video, whether or not they replayed the video several times, where they stopped watching the video, all the analytics that we have. Um, now, very few companies even execute on XAPI. I think it's fewer than 20% at this point, but we're getting there. It's 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 a slow build to, to that world. So we're getting there and that's great. But I don't think we understand oftentimes what we need to do with that data too. So like, great, we have all this data, but what do we do with it? So I think one of the problems is a lot of L&D teams, we operate not agilely. Uh, yep. We don't operate in an agile system. So what we end up doing is going away for a few months at a time, putting together a great course, solid design. I'm so proud of the L&D industry with where we are design-wise. Yep. It's wonderful with what we're doing. 
But we go away, we play in a vacuum and create our stuff. We release the the training. And if we're lucky enough, we have the insights as to where the dropout rates are, but we don't necessarily have the time the way that we are structured as most L&D teams are to say, great, we now know where most people are dropping off. Let's go ahead and go fix that part of the course and re-release it. We don't do that a lot. What we end up doing is saying like, well, good to know for next time. And they build another course, go away for a few months and do it again. So it's one of those things where just the very structure of how we're built don't doesn't allow for incorporation of new insights and data to make any real difference anyway. So I think there needs to be a paradigm shift where we include data analytics and we have that be a, a driving force as to how we tend to courses already created so we can make them better and better. For instance, like it's one of those things that's interesting because we build products for a company. It's a learning product, but it's still a product, right? More than anything else. You you work at AstraZeneca, is that right? Yes. Your company builds medicines, vaccines, medical devices. I work at a SaaS company. We build, uh, the product team builds a, a productivity platform. So everybody has a product team that designs and creates something. And in those teams, they are built to do iterative pieces of product where you have one piece built, you release it out, you find out what's wrong with it, you make it better yeah. every single time. Yeah. We don't do that with LND. Um, no. So even if we do have the data for it, I, I wonder if most teams even utilize it. Yeah, that is um, so true. And you know, um, your thoughts align with also what someone recently told me that how many times does it happen that when we start a project, we put up solid measurement plan in place like yeah. how like what am I going to do how what is the scope of this project is it like six months eight months one year how do I you know gauge the impact we don't we don't include that as a solid plan like we do with storyboarding like we do with our stakeholder consulting and I we keep everything so beautiful and organized but that part is not yet a solid part of our entire project management yeah. And the reason she like, you know, the person I was talking to, she said, because of the sheer load of work, because we are doing multiple projects, we release mm -hmm. a project, we have the product and we are jumping into our next two, three things that are due in next two weeks or a month. So who yeah. is taking the time to dig deeper and come back and gather all these data, which kind of makes me think if we should have a new role in L&D where people should be well experienced and educated in the field of analytics. And that particular person should take this charge of <laughs> handling, 100%. you know, data for the learning team. You are 100. Yes. We, we are on the same wave here, sister. I, I agree entirely. I, I think there's only been one team. It was Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley does a really great job at these yes. things, uh, but yes. there were, that's the one team where they did have a dedicated, uh, a data analyst on the team to say what's going well and what isn't. That is the only team I've ever worked on that actually does that and does it pretty dang well. Me too. Um, but but yeah, you're right. We we need a lot of different roles on an LD team. We need a role for we're a data analyst. We need a role for a marketer on top of that. We yeah. build products that we have no one marketing our product. That's pretty wild to me that we don't have anything like that. So there there really does need to be 
an entire shift from where we are now to where we need to be, to be exactly what people expect from L&D. That is to be impactful, effective, and worthwhile of the money that we use from the company. Um, again, we're seen as a cost center, but like you said, few times can we even measure if our training is even effective. We cannot say for most teams how we provide any real value to a company other than saying, hey, we completed 50 courses this year. Look at us go. But what, what what does that mean at the end of the day? Nothing if we can't measure it. And, you know, when you were saying that usually there's no time to do measurement, you're 100% right. Every time I've ever had to do measurement for my course, I had to do it on my own personal time. It was way oh, yeah. past my 40, 45 hours of work uh, in a week, 50 hours. Oftentimes I, I have to do it on my own time. And it's only because I care about data very much yeah. that I've ever had a chance to do that. And it's, Funny because in, in this current job I'm in, I was interviewed and they were asking a lot about the impact of my training. And I was able to give all sorts of insights about it because I did uh, the research on it. And a few months later, I was talking with one of the founders and he says like, yeah, Vanessa, it's interesting. You're the only person that we interviewed out of however many people he interviewed that even had insight on how impactful your training was. I'm like, huh, the only one? He's like, yep. I'm like, yeah. That aligns with what you and I are talking about here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And maybe because, Vanessa, your thinking is like you you came from, like in the beginning, you said you keep thinking, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the value? What am I like? Yeah. What are the results? So, and I think there's a change management that has to happen in LND where the thinking has to shift. Like data is not good to have. It's exactly where you put your instruction design bucket or a storyboarding storyboarding bucket data has to go in a special bucket it's not you know something that is nice to have it's a must-have it that's exactly right I could not agree with you more on that on on that note I want to shift to a different kind of uh, question or like you know conversation which um which I am more interested in I'm not sure if (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you you will warm up to it but uh, recently oh, I yeah I read a book um, called uh, storytelling with data and uh, this uh, yeah this writer her name is Cole and she's very famous she used to work in Google and she created the course uh, in terms of like how to use storytelling how to use data for storytelling and I'll explain you what why I'm bringing this here because not everyone is good in understanding data, analyzing data, dissecting data. And if we are focusing on learning analytics in L&D, then one person is there who is, of course, good like you, who can churn the data, who can dissect, who can analyze, and then create focus points, like the final takeaway from an ocean of data to make sense that what should be the action plan based on what we have seen with the data. Mm -hmm. And what this book talks about, how do we then take the ocean of data and create stories or create what uh, what drives action out of data and present it to the stakeholders to get what we want to get. Do you ever think about this? Like how do we present data? I I do. Um, I am definitely one of those people who, because I love data so much, I just release a lot of information about percentages and and all these things. And it doesn't really matter to anybody. Like nobody cares about numbers. <laughs> what they care about is how it impacts humans, how it impacts them, how it impacts, impacts exactly. people around them. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I am unfortunately one of those people that can do much better in how I tell the story of data and, and give a reason to care. And that's, that's something I've been trying my hardest to work on. I, uh, in my, in my current company, we were encouraged to read something called a death by meetings book. And it's, it's an interesting book. Um, it basically says it has nothing to do with data, but it's the, the importance of storytelling. And the idea is that when you're in a meeting there, let's say it's an hour meeting long or one hour meeting. And in that meeting, you, you go over all sorts of updates from different parts of your team and department, what's going on, yada, yada, yada. Nobody really is engaged in those meetings, like ever. What they are engaged in is what you say, like you're the storyteller. So you're usually engaged in what you're saying, hopefully. And then anything where your ears perk up related to what you do with what somebody else is talking about and an update they're giving, that's when you're listening to. But for the most part, you don't really pay attention. So this book talks about the impact of storytelling that if you create in a meeting, kind of a hook to say like, hey, this is a problem and this is what's happening right now that impacts directly you. And you give a story as to what's happening, why it's happening and where it will lead to. And you give people a reason to care in that kind of way. They will care. They will start attending meetings when they don't even have to attend those meetings. It's a really interesting insight about the power of storytelling and how you can do relational um, impact with people, whether it's data, whether it's meeting updates, whatever it is. So, so definitely agree with you on the importance of having that skill for anyone, whether you're an L&D professional or not. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because like, what's the, like, there is this data, but what's the point of having all these data if uh, we do not build the skill to churn that data to create meaningful insights in a way that can, that can be simple in a way that is simple enough for everybody to understand. You don't need like a lot of um, analytical skill or you know a number skill to understand what's presented to you so that that's I guess one skill that I'm also trying to build 100% I think the biggest thing that people can do to build that skill is try to create use data to create conflict I know that is like not a great word for most people but the moment that there's conflict that is a moment that people pay attention to the most if your data is conflicting with what people assumed uh, performance Mm -hmm. was at and you talk about, hey, yeah, uh, XYZ manager was expecting this. This is where the data is actually at. This is where what's going to happen to the team. If we don't do anything about it, we're going to leave 30% of people out and lay off. Like that, that's conflict. People care for some reason about conflict. The more there is, the better. You will get their attention. And that data will mean something to them. So conflict is often used in a negative sense. But sometimes you can utilize that in a way that creates positive change like you nailed it and <laughs> i wanted to ask you one last question before we end that right now i feel we use data to inform us to for decision making but it do, we don't use data to dictate decisions yeah. would you say like with the shift in with the with the development of artificial intelligence how do you already see things changing or what do you think will change in future for learning analytics do you think like we'll get to really those this cool space where data will create stories itself I don't know I don't know what's the potential but have you come across something that 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 has blown your mind or do you foresee things happening in the analytics space in LND with artificial intelligence or what does future look like to you I do um 
and not to continue to tout my own company, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it's interesting because being in this company has been such a wonderful insight on where L&D can go. What usually happens with L&D is, again, it's all lagging indicators, right? From what we were talking about at the beginning, what usually happens is uh, people are doing their job. There is a performance problem noticed at the very end of a quarter or whatever it may be. Something has happened. There's a notification uh, to managers and executives that something needs to occur for training and learning needs to happen. We create training. This is all taking over months at a time, by the way. Training is created. We release a training six months late and then people take it. And hopefully we're seeing change. And oftentimes it's much too late. What's happening now, at least with the company I'm at, is the whole the whole platform we have is related to uh, essentially performance engineering. So making sure that salespeople identify how they're doing at any given time of their work cycle. And in about eight or nine skills that represent the whole life of a salesperson, we can identify where they're struggling, both as a trend over time and currently. So based on that, we automatically assign and recommend training that's already been created uh, to say, hey, we've known us over the past three and a half months, you're having a bit of a hard time in uh, XYZ metric. But six months ago, you were having a fairly easy time with that. Because we understand that uh, you have a higher quota than me and fewer clients that you're working with, we're seeing that this metric is low. So we're we're believing that you need to make more calls, you need to meet with more clients, and we notice that your skill set's pretty low in that based on the data that we have here. Here's an auto recommendation from the insights we have and take the training. So that is, in my mind, the truest form of just-in-time training. It's not lagging. It's literally in the moment of need. And I think that's where the L&D industry is going through as well. We are at a, a moment in time where there is just complete need to have something done now, ASAP, yesterday. And we are making that shift slowly but surely in that direction. And data analytics is performing incredible insights with that. Artificial intelligence is going to push that a lot faster. So where I feel my company's at uniquely right now, I I don't think it's going to be unique in the near future, in the next five or 10 years. I think most companies are going to have that as a normal expectation of training, where it's already available. It's already auto-applied and auto-recommended. It's not having to be talked about by the manager and encouraged for people to take. They'll know why they need the training. They know why Mm -hmm. their performance is low. They know how that training is going to help them. Uh, So I think that's where we're going to be going and that's going to be commonplace soon. Yeah, like more learning in the flow of work where you are not learning in the flow of work. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard about this platform called Realize It? I have not. Okay. No, I, I mean, I have um, heard about them and it's uh, similar to what you um, what you just explained, but I am so curious now to go and Google and learn more about your company and, uh, to, do. Uh, and get more insights because whatever you just said, I think, I definitely think that's the way almost everyone I'm speaking to these days, they are talking that language, they're in, inclining in that, uh, you know, in inclining to that kind of thought. So yeah. I also think that is going to be the future where learning will be more on time and in the flow of work and in where, flow of work. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there, I mean, there's already applications out there. Walk me, what fix these yes. are, 
I, I think they consider themselves inline training. They're literally in the flow of work. There's yes. nothing you need to go to to exit your workflow. It is right there where it's an overlay of the application yeah. you're in and it's teaching you how to use it. Uh, so there's already a lot of effort in that. And I think we'll be able to push it much further in the coming years with the AI. And it's just, it's going to be absolutely exciting to see where it's going. Very exciting. Yeah. And um, yeah, I cannot wait to see how it unfolds, but I'm I'm very passionate about the work I do. And I always love it when I meet, you know, like-minded people like you are. So <laughs> thank love you. It. Yeah, I love it too. Much. It's, it should be a lot more calm. And I think I need to get myself out there more. So I want to say thank you, Arpita, for inviting me on this podcast and having this exchange. It's been uh, really exciting just to talk to another L&D professional who has uh, like you said, like-minded um, thoughts as I do. And I, I think this encouraged me to talk to more L&D professionals out there, see where we all are and where we're at. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Vanessa.